Lun Johnson is the type of person that everyone needs in their life. A teacher, a friend, and a follower of Christ, Lund has inspired me and countless others in his lifelong adventures as a religion teacher. I honestly can't think of a time where I was in a room with Lund and didn't learn something fascinating and perspective-changing. He currently hosts a video show called Lightful Moments with Lund where he shares inspired religious messages. He's incredible, and I'm excited to have you all get to know a little bit more about him. This is That Made Me Smile. Is it my recording? Yeah. yeah okay. so it's, pop, it's popping up. Okay, perfect. So, uh, Brother Johnson. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, you know, every time I watch you on the Lipo Moments with Lund, because we have, we have a little show that we do there, and uh, anytime I, I, you were my mission prep teacher, uh, I think, I know you've taught some other of my classes, I don't know, <laughs> but every time I've learned from you, I always learn something new and inspiring, and it seems like you're always I, – I, you kind of – earlier when we were talking, you mentioned your revelatory um, recliner. Yes, sir. I and, love my revelatory recliner. <laughs> and I just – it always seems like you've got inspiration or um, a great message to share. So I'd love to just hear what's, what's, on, what's on the mind of Brother Johnson this week, and I'd love to hear your, your, what, you, what you've gained from your revelatory recliner this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you brought up my revelatory recliner – um, I find I get most of my inspiration and revelation in what medically is called a hypnopompic state. And that's when you're not quite awake and you're not quite asleep. You're just going, you're just waking up. You're just waking up and you don't pay too much attention to your body and your mind is kind of going. That's when your spirit is most receptive, I, for me. That's where the spirit is most receptive. Hmm. Um, and I have known Elder Irene and Elder Scott. Uh, several of the apostles uh, have mentioned that early morning, well, President Nelson, he gets up with his yellow pad and writes down his <laughs> yellow pad. I, I literally, I plan on early morning revelation. When something is not quite right or we have a problem at home, or I'll just say, okay, I'll wait until morning. And then sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's five. But I kind of wake up and I lay in a bed and I just think, oh, yeah, that would work really good. I could do that. And then I think, I know if I go back to sleep, I'm going to forget it. <laughs> so I get up or right by my bed is my phone and my glasses so I can write down in notes. Um, I love Revelation. I absolutely love it. And so my revelatory recliner even during the day, I can get in it and just recline back and relax and start thinking. And it just comes. It just, I have to get up and write it down. But I love that, that state when you're no longer worried about your body. That's when your spirit can receive revelation. I, I'm sure I've told you I'm rambling way too much. Go like that. That's <laughs> all good. Um, Joseph Smith said, one of my favorite quotes from Joseph Smith, he said, whenever the Lord reveals anything to man, he reveals it directly to his spirit as if he had no body at all. And so what we need to do is forget our bodies. What's fasting? 
You know, who who decided if you wanted to be sincere and get close to Heavenly Father, don't eat? <laughs> you know, what does not eating have to do with spirituality? Well, when you realize that your spirit receives the revelation and your body kind of gets in the way, when you fast, you're telling your body, I'm not paying any attention to you anymore. You're not important right now. I want to feed my spirit. And so I invented a famous saying, and it says, when your body is fasting, your spirit is feasting. <laughs> and you are you are open, more open to revelation. And that's my opinion, but it's worked for me. Yeah. And so I was. I was setting some time in my revelatory recliner today and uh, have a great time. That, that That's just, <laughs> I don't know, that's fascinating to me. I just, and what's, the, what's that state called again? The... The hypnopopic. Hypnopopic. Yeah. There's a, there's a hypnagogic state <laughs> is as you are going, as you are waking up. As no, as waking. you're going to sleep. Okay. As you're going to sleep, that's hypnagogic. Why? I do not know. <laughs> and you're just going off to sleep. But hypnopopic is when you're waking up. And that's when you're more alert because you've already had your rest. Yeah. Kind of. And, uh, and you're really not married. You, you, when you're laying in bed, you're not really aware of your body unless it hurts. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're real aware of it, but uh, then your spirit is more open to reception of in, in, inspiration. Huh. So when you are trying to get revelation early in the morning, do you does the inspiration wake you up early, or is it? Or do you set an alarm like I know I want to? I'm I'm trying to get through. I'm trying to figure out a problem, so I yeah. I set a time like I know this is when it's gonna no, hit me. No, I don't set an alarm because the alarm will wake my body up too. Mm. You know, it'll bing or whatever it is. But if you just kind of wake up and you're just laying there and you've thought about it before, maybe prayed about it the night before, and uh, oftentimes in our prayer for myself or my wife, I will say, you know, Heavenly Father, in the morning, may we wake up rested and with inspiration hmm. on what we need. And, you know, it doesn't happen every time. But to me, that's when a lot of my inspiration comes hmm. and it happens. That's so interesting. I that answers some stuff for me as well because I, for a couple years where my back was really messed up because of my injury, I remember feeling this just this uh, period of not feeling like I get good inspiration. Uh -huh. And I remember wondering to myself why why could I not get inspiration? So when you say that your spirit is the one that gets the inspiration, and you have to kind of forget your body, and so when you're in pain, it's hard to. Yeah. Gain that inspiration. That that just answers a lot of. Th well, it gives me some insight on, I guess, myself a little bit because I never have thought of that. I didn't. I never put that together. That's so. And and when your body is hurting, I have a back out too, but I'm old, so I should, <laughs> I'm okay. Um, my revelate my recliner also controls my back. It helps me feel good. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to be real spiritual when you're hurting. Mm-hmm. You know, unless. You turn that way, and then and then and then you seek heaven's help. But when you're uncomfortable, uh, it's hard. I think my own opinion. Um, remember when Jesus fed the five thousand? Mm -hmm. He fed them before he taught them, mm. uh, <laughs> and uh, he wanted to be comfortable and he wanted to not be worried about where their meal was coming from. He, he, he wanted them to forget their body and tune in hmm. to the spirit. So. So we, need, so we need to start uh, all church meetings with uh, with a big meal. <laughs> that would be well, that would be then you fall asleep. <laughs> That's <a big> true. <laughs> so that wouldn't work too well. Um, 
So that, anyway, that's uh, that's something that I really enjoy, and I don't necessarily count on. I have to do your you have to do your homework. You know, many a time I'm sure this happened to you. You prepared a talk or prepared a program that you wanted to do, and you worked really hard on it and spent a lot of time. And then when it actually came, the live performance came. You didn't do half of what you prepared, but you got ideas. You got momentary. You know, at the very moment, Heavenly Father says, I will tell you what you need to know. Uh, but if you hadn't prepared, I don't think that would have happened. Yeah. Many a time I have received instantaneous revelation in giving a talk. And uh, But if I hadn't prepared, I would go, oh, it's good to be here today. You know? <laughs> so anyway. No, I, I agree. I have a ton of times where I'll kneel down and and I think I need I need to get better about the times I noticing the times I get revelation like when when I'm most receptive to it because I think that plays a big part but I've noticed when I sometimes I'll kneel down and say my prayers and it's just like nothing's coming to me whether I'm in a rush or I've got to be somewhere and what helps is just going and starting to act upon the things I know I have to do and then the thoughts will come whether I'm you know, driving to the next location I have to go work at or serve at or, or be at, yeah. something will pop in my head. I'll be like, oh, that's a great idea. I that's need to... right. That's right. You're opening your mind. If you're concentrating on it, your mind is not open. Mm-hmm. When you're not, then the Lord can just slick it in <laughs> and, uh, and make it happen. You're, you've, you have some good experiences. That, that's, that's great. That'll serve you well in yeah. your life. Um, I can't, there's a quote I was going to sit in, but it didn't work. I can't, so don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. So... One thing, as we, as I was looking through some of these topics as we were talking about different points to discuss, uh, one one thing that really stood out to me, you mentioned how you have a, I, I don't know if it's a degree, I think a degree in uh, the fine in dra- drama and and the fine arts, uh-huh, uh-huh. but you taught seminary for thirty seven years, <laughs> and just tell me about that. How did how did that work out and what was that experience like? Well, like any college student, you know, you're, you're pretty degree-oriented. You probably know where you're going off on your degree. <laughs> I went to BYU, wanted to be a history major because I loved my high school history teacher, Miss Turner. <laughs> she was so good and so vivacious. And, but anyway, so I went to BYU. So I want to be a history major. I loved history. Well, after my second semester, no, second week, of taking history classes for history majors, I thought, I don't want to do this. This is a lot of memorizing of dates and places. Or who cares about all that stuff? So I had been in a lot of plays at high school. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go into drama. So I went into drama and uh, graduated in drama and got my master's in drama and cinematic arts. They had added cinematic arts by the time I was graduating. Um but then I took a graduate class, and the teacher, I think it was, um, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, he was talking about, now this last summer I went to San Francisco, see four or five plays, I went to New York and saw those plays there, I've read this history of the Kabuki Theater, and I thought, who cares? <laughs> I just like drama. So then I thought, oh, all right. So then I thought, I just returned from my mission, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go into seminary. So I went to the seminary and they said, well, you don't graduate in religion. You have to graduate in something else and then apply to teach. Because if you don't make it, what are you going to do with a master's in Book of Mormon? Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. I was like, wait, why, why can't yeah. you get a degree in? <laughs> so you graduate in something else and then you go. Um, and so I did that. 
I had my degree in drama, and I started teaching seminary, and for 37 years, I've been teaching seminary, and I absolutely love it. Drama is actually a pretty good uh, minor or, or, or talent to have with when you're teaching high school kids yeah. at seminary, and even even college, even college kids, even adults, <laughs> like a little spice drama yeah. in, in, their, in their laugh. So uh, that's how that went, and it was absolutely a right choice, absolutely yeah. a right choice. So I'm I'm glad I was able to do that. And I felt, as looking back on my life, 50, you know, 76 years. That's a long, I'm old. <laughs> 76 years. Um, back when I went on my mission, when my wife and I went on a mission to South Africa, about the second sacrament meeting, I was, we were introducing ourselves. And I said, and yes, and I went on my mission in 1964. And they all went, whoa, the eyes just got huge. <laughs> And I said, yeah, I'm 74 at that time, 74 years old. And afterwards, a little primary kid came up to me and said, are you really 74? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. And he said, and you can still walk? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, well, I can do that. Uh, so anyway, uh, in that time at BYU, <clears throat> I had decided to, I taught the seminary and I did seminary work there. And just love, I can't forget your question. What was your question? Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I was just asking what was that experience like. Cause oh, that's right. Why I graduated in drama and taught seminary. Yeah. Uh, because I just realized that's not what I wanted to do. Plus, is anybody listening? I guess I hope they are, but uh, I don't like drama majors. <laughs> drama fair. majors are kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're really fun to be in plays with. Mm-hmm. But of all the plays I've been in, I probably went to a fourth of the after-play parties. Because mm-hmm. they're just really kind of weird people. They've got a strange belief system. <laughs> I'm and noticed. I'm weird, I, in a way. But uh, So I didn't want to major in theater. <laughs> and if anybody is out there is thinking of majoring in theater, it's a great major. I'm glad. I mean, my experience in theater has been a huge blessing to me and my family. Not because I went into it, because of my hobbies. Mm-hmm. What I did, not as a profession, in theater. Um, but I would go, make sure you go to a conservative school. I usually name BYU, BYU-Idaho, maybe BYU-Hawaii. I've never been there. but uh, uh, Because you get some weird standard of living mm-hmm. in other colleges in drama. Yeah. And it's very hard to remain true and faithful. Why do you think that is? The creativity that you are in. You want to try everything. You want to experience everything. You want to branch out. You don't want to be cubbyhole. In fact, there's another really good word. Uh, crust, uh, pu- um, you don't want to be... Oh, I can't remember now. Um, but anyway, cubbyhole. And so they, they branch out. They, I want to try this. I want to try this. At BYU, I I was in a play... I. For, we did 96 performances of Bye Bye Birdie <laughs> at BYU. We toured Europe. That's a lot of performances. And, uh, <laughs> uh, three of that cast members, who were great members of the church, great people, have now completely, one died of AIDS hmm. several years later. Um, another went to Las Vegas, and I completely lost track of him. Um, they just want to experiment. I just heard from another one yes, two days ago who is wonderful, um, and uh, she's just doing great 
So you know, not all, not all drama majors, but um, I I think it's just the creative gene in you. You want to experiment. You want to try. You want to do. You want to you want to be cubbyholed. Yeah. Procrustean. That's the word. <laughs> you don't you don't want to be procrustean, which is mm. has to be. You have to fit a mold. Yeah. If you remember, procrustean was a mytho- mythological owner of an island. And when ships would come into his island, he would invite them in, feed them, and say, stay overnight, and he gave them a bed. And if they didn't fit the bed, he cut their legs off. <laughs> so kids fit the bed. <laughs> and so procrustean means fitting into a mold, and it comes from that philo- that Greek philology. And uh, so, but you, you didn't, I, they don't want to be that way, so they branch out. I, I, that's totally my opinion. I have nothing to base that on. No, I... I I think I'd agree with that opinion because so I've done a few things not not a ton of uh-huh. musicals or dra- drama or anything like that I did some in high school uh, I went to probably a pretty conservative high school uh-huh. um, but I did some stuff for MCC and it was really good like I I enjoy theater because I I enjoy the thinking outside the box kind of mindset right uh-huh. the being able to create and find ways to connect with the audience because. You know, you, you think about what what would what would it, what would I get a kick out of, or what would I, you know, connect with if yeah. I was in the audience, and you can relay that. But it does seem to bring with it a, at least what I noticed was a acceptance of everything, I which so. it's good to accept things, but an acceptance of, you know, wanting to not being able to draw your line of where where your boundaries were yeah. because you wanted to accept and go past that line a little bit more and a little bit more. So. I, I I agree with I agree well, that, with that. That's, that's uh, that that is the thing. When I, I what you said about you know connecting with the audience. The very last play I'd ever been in um, was about seven or eight years ago. Before we moved here from our, our Idaho, they had a community theater there, and I played the Spirit of Christmas Present in the <laughs> musical. Um, was it Scrooge or whatever it's called? And it was really fun. But he wanted to put a beard on me, and I said, No, no, I don't want a beard. I want to be able to see my face because <laughs> I want them to connect. I want to be able to connect with, with them. And then I said, okay, but it would be okay if I did my Scottish accent. <laughs> couldn't the spirit of Christmas, because it takes place in England, mm-hmm. so couldn't the spirit of Christmas. So he let me do that. So I came out and looked at the audience, and I said, Ebenezer Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> and uh, oh, I got to smile at the audience, you know. Uh, it was nice. Connecting with the audience is great. Yeah. And it's important. It's a great feeling. Yeah. It's it a really is. great feeling when, I don't know, there's not, there's nothing better. As I've thought about it, because it's been a while since I had the opportunity to do anything on stage, but there's just there's just this feeling that comes when you're out there and people are laughing or smiling uh-huh. or enjoying what you're doing, and it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a neat feeling. And it's the same thing with speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, with with. In church or wherever, yeah. you 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 bounce off the audience. You you connect with the audience. Yeah. Um, I had a teacher who was getting close to retirement in his sixties uh, up in Idaho when I was over at the Seminary Institute teachers up there, and he spoke at EFY for the first time at about sixty. So I went up to him and I said, "I, I don't know, his, I can't remember his name. I'll say a name." And I said, "So how how did you go at EFY this year?" And he said, "I learned something." He said, I learned that even at 60, I relate very well with them, but they don't relate with me. <laughs> there was that. He, he said, they just, it didn't fit. I was that old guy up there, and 
I related with all of them, but they didn't relate with me. And so relating with the audience is very, very important. Yeah. Well, it's fun to, it's fun to share a part of yourself with others. It is. And, and I think even with like gospel, sharing the gospel as a missionary uh-huh. or as a seminary teacher, it's, it's great when people, it clicks for them or they get what you're trying to share. That, that feeling of seeing it in their eyes when they understand like, Oh yeah, that's what they're trying to say, yeah. and it's just a, it's a cool experience to share a part of yourself with yeah. whoever you're teaching or performing for. Okay, now that you're not on a full time mission, how do you share the gospel? How's the easiest way for you to share? I'm interviewed now. <laughs> What's the easiest way for you to share the gospel? Oof, that's a good question. I think honestly, and, and this is across the board nowadays. I think I think social media is one of the best ways to do it. Yeah. It's it can take a little adjusting and getting used to at first because I think a lot of people uh, stay away from social media because it is intimidating or scary or there's lots of stuff out there. Uh-huh. But I think if you focus your message and you figure out and, – and that's one thing with our, our social media program we run here in our service mission. One thing I always tell them is Heavenly Father's got a message and an inspired message for you to share to somebody. Yeah. Somebody out there. We we don't know. That's the hard part is you don't always know who it's going to, right? And you do, and you may you may if never anybody, know. Right. You may never know. You have you know you could have some, maybe a ton of people see it or maybe no one sees it. But uh, Heavenly Father has an inspired message for you as an individual to share. And so I always tell them when you come to this when you come to this meeting, dedicate the time for the Lord, and take it to Him. Ask Him what what message do you want me to share. And I think that's the same. That was the one thing in the in the mission field. That was the same thing. There's a certain message that the Lord wants you to share with whoever you're teaching. And so I think social media is a great way to do it. It's nowadays I think it would it's hard to come home after mission and you're probably not going to go to your next door neighbor <laughs> knock on their door and say, "Hey, here's a book of Mormon." Yeah. You know, no one's going to do that. Uh, maybe if you live in a small town it might be easier and you you probably know everyone or everyone's already a member. Um but social media, you can easily share that across your friends and family. And, and the people don't feel like you're imposing. They see it and they can accept it or not. Yeah, yeah they can push the button. or they, Yeah. Exactly. And now, nowadays, so as a service missionary, do you use social media as a service missionary? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I know outside the proselyting missionaries that are all over the world, even in South Africa, they do a lot of teaching on social media. So. You learn how to do it in your mission field, yeah. and then you can come back and do it at home. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's why, um, I don't know who it, who it was, President Uchtdorf, I think he said it, Elder Uchtdorf. He, uh, not President Uchtdorf, Elder Uchtdorf. <laughs> he, uh, he's, he said it quite a bit, you know, we we don't want to go back to the way it was. I, I'm paraphrasing, I don't yeah. think he said it just like uh-huh. that. But he, they know there's blessings to be found using technology to share the gospel because Everyone has a phone. Everyone has a device that connects to the internet, yeah. and everyone can do it. You know, I the one thing I always love. I love your puns that you put out on Facebook. You're posting <laughs> puns, or you're very active on Facebook, and so I think everyone has an opportunity to share. My my mom, she's not super tech savvy when it comes to social media or anything like that, but even she's on there sharing Good. the messages that Good. you know are the mission is uh-huh. posting and putting out there, and so. You know, everyone has the opportunity to be a missionary, so I think that's a an awesome thing that yeah. 
technology has done for missionary work at least. It has. It's and it's changed. It's changed missionary work. Yeah. And we never did that before. Never. In fact, you couldn't. You couldn't yeah. get online. <laughs> right. Missionaries couldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, I when I was mission leader of our ward in uh, Chandler before we moved, uh, we came up as a as a council ward council kind of a motto that it was. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was. Share what you believe while you do what you do. It's just the way everyday life. You just go out. You're sitting on a bus. You're you're at a work. You're whatever you're doing. What, whatever you're doing, just mention something about. Oh, last week in church was was so great. Or you know, I've got to go to a meeting tomorrow night uh, with, with the youth to help them with their biomate class. And then, that that spurs questions. Yeah. So just share what you believe while you do what you do. You don't have to go out of the way and do some weird thing, but just do it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like when we go to red restaurants, which I must admit is way too often, uh, but it's not. It's not <laughs> <laughs> um, we always still we're old fashioned, so we still have pass along cards. Yeah. And we still, my wife, every time, writes down the waitress's or waitron's name, and then says, "We appreciate what you service, and here's what we think you would really like." And we just ship a pass along card. But what if you do that? You always make sure you give them a good tip. Don't be don't be chintzy. Yeah. <laughs> on the tip, uh, we have found right here, in actually it was in Mesa, as a restaurant we go to all of the time, and we get almost we actually ask for the same waiter because he's really good, and uh, we said, you're probably tired of getting all these. Is no no every one of them is in the kitchen. We put them up on a wall because they're not not the comment side, but the picture of Christ. Picture of Christ, the children. Picture of Christ on the mount. And he said, they're all on the wall back in the kitchen area. <laughs> so, and they did that in South Africa. We asked somebody, so, you know, they're all right there on the wall uh, out in front. So, huh. you know, it's really easy to just stick it down there with your generous tip. Well, I give them two-dollar bills, so they think that's pretty nice, too. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, well, it's got to feel good, too, when you find that out. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, one time in here, again, in Chandler, a restaurant Chandler. We have the same kind of wait, girl, later all the time, waiter. Air Africa is really nice. You call them waitrons. That's male and <laughs> waitrons. female. Waitrons. Um, she said, you're, I said, we well, are probably getting tired of getting these. Oh, no. She opened up her little black thing, and there was a big wad of them huh. in her black. <laughs> she had there. So that's good. So that's easy, easy way to share what you believe while you do what you do. Hmm. I love that. So... What's your uh, What's your favorite restaurant uh, here in? Can I name names? Yeah, Mi Amigos. Mi Amigos. Mi Amigos. It's on um, the corner of Gilbert Road and University. No, um, base. Uh, what's after Baseline? Southern University and Southern. We We used to live over there. We lived in Mesa Forty Fifth Ward, which is right by Mesa High. So we would go there all the time, and even though it's what twenty fifteen minutes away, all the way from South Chandler to North, um, we go there two times a, a week. <laughs> uh, we also like uh, Pita Jungle, okay, and we like Wildflower, mm. and we're like uh, Panera and um, Cheesecake Factory. You can't not like Cheesecake, cheesecake Factory. Cheesecake Factory is great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and In and Out Burger. That's a good one. Go to that work. So, we, but we do. We we eat out a lot and leave pass along. We do. We only eat out so we can leave pass along cards. Absolutely, <laughs> that's the way to do it. That's right. No, that's good. I, I'll have to try me because I don't think I've ever had it. Well, it's kind of far away from here, but it's it was our old favorite. 
our yeah. kids would grow up with it, and and we love it. And the manager lives two blocks from us here in South Chandler. Hmm. I mean, just just right on the corner of Gilbert Road and Chandler Boulevard. Hmm. Just right there. That's awesome. So you mentioned you lived in Mesa for a while, uh-huh. which I guess leads me to my next question about your uh, work in the pageants because the oh, Mesa yeah. Easter pageant. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and That's you've worked right. in a couple of ma- uh, pageants. I know the Hillcomore pageant. And then I didn't know about the, the one in Jamaica, but I'd love to just hear a little <laughs> bit about the pageants. Uh, okay. Um, again, it was the hand of the Lord. Absolutely nothing that I initiated. I just followed. Um, I, I was trying out at BYU for Sound of Music. And if you've been trying out, you know you get to the, the, the callback board. Right. You go up to the callback board, your name's still on it. So then you come back, try it again, then your name's still out, the list's getting shorter. There was 350 you tried out. No, for Sound of Music, there was, I don't know how many. but there was, And so finally, it got down to the posting the cast. And so that morning, I was wrapped down to the Clark Building, I mean, not to the, uh, whatever the drama building was, and ran up there and looked down there, and my name wasn't there. But then down at the bottom, very bottom, it said, Will Lund Johnson, and I can't remember who it was, please see me. And in the cast list, Captain Von Trapp was not cast, and the butler was not cast. <laughs> so I knew I was in, there you go. but I didn't know what. So we went back, and Dr. Hansen, Harold I. Hansen, was directing it. He had us both just quickly try out again, just the two of us. And then he cast the next day. And I got the butler. The butler, okay. <laughs> but the good thing about getting the butler is I still remember my lines. <laughs> Dinner is served. <laughs> That's my line. Now, if I was Captain Von Trapp, I couldn't do that. <laughs> um, but also, I think Dr. Hansen realized what a good sport I was. Because then he also was trying out about two months later for a play that was going to tour Europe on USO show, Bye Bye Birdie. <clears throat> and so they had had about 400 people try out for it. Because everybody wanted to go to Europe on the U.S. government's money and uh, entertain the armed forces overseas. So again, it cut call back, call back, call back, call back, call back. And the casting lit went up and my name wasn't on it. So I thought, well, okay. And then Dr. Hansen, about, I was in The Sound of Music at the time. Uh, Dr. Hansen called me after class one day, uh, caught me in the hallway and said, Lund, he said, uh, we have a situation. The government, the USO headquarters, says we need to have an alternate just in case. Because if we're over in Europe or even before we go, if somebody gets sick or gets hurt and we can't cancel the show... So we happen to have an alternate that knows all the male parts in the show that can step in instantly and do that. For any part. For any part. Would you be willing to do that? You wouldn't be able to take classes because we, we rehearse all day long. So as a special, we got special drama credit for a whole semester in doing that. So I, I was already two weeks late uh, into the semester. So he said, I'll bring you in and you'll work with the cast. And we rehearse. We have a few classes. We have a makeup class and a costume class. And he said, that then when we go to Europe, you won't be able to go unless we need you. And then we'll fly you over and you can be in the show. Huh. So I said, okay, I'll do that. It was fun. So that was on a Saturday night. Monday morning, I 
rechanged all my classes and took the special USO class uh, and worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday morning, I get a call. No, it wasn't. It was even more than dramatic than that. Thursday night, one of the cast members comes running backstage at the Hillcomore at the at the at the uh, Sound of Music behind, said, "Oh, we're so happy! We're all so happy!" And gave me a big hug. And I said, "You like the show? No, you haven't heard yet." Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Hanser called me that night and said the man who played Albert J. Peterson, which is the male lead, was called at a mar- caught at a marijuana party at BYU, <laughs> and that is. He ceased to exist <laughs> after that. He just was gone. <laughs> and so, and the first show was in five days. Hmm. First show was the Thursday afternoon the next week. So I had, I stepped in and we were able to make it through the first show and uh, continue to rehearse. And so I got to go to Europe. <laughs> uh, but, and part of the time I was over there, I was Dr. Harold I. Hansen's roommate. We all had a room together. So he got to know me really well, and he asked me, he said, Lund, would you like to come back and help me at the Hillcomora pageant? He's also the director of the Hillcomora pageant. Huh. And I said, well, let me think about it. I had never heard of it. I went to the cast, master, cast members, members, and I said, what's the Hillcomora pageant? Tell me what that is. <laughs> and they told me it's a big, huge pageant back in New York. So I came back and said, sure, I'll do that. I'd love to do that. So that's how I became assistant director all by chance, the sound of music, not making the rehearsals, making the, you know, the other, and then going becoming his roommate, and him <laughs> getting to know me, and then asked me to go back to the pageant. Huh. And that changed my life. For 20 years, I was on the directing staff of the Hillcomora pageant. Huh. Uh, first year, I was, first three years, I helped direct it and played Samuel the Lamanite. I mean, he played uh, King Noah. I got to burn a prophet every night. <laughs> Uh, then, then he recast me as Samuel Lamanite for the last for the next nine years, so I got to be a prophet. For the next nine years, I was Samuel Lamanite, and then the directing thing got a little heavy, and so I didn't do anything. I just came back and directed. And then the last four years, I was the director. Hmm. They made me. He he retired. He was uh, old and retired, and then I was assistant director to Jack Cedarholm for three years, and then he quit. And then I became the director. So the Lord just led me along all the way with me really not doing anything except following the path that I felt was a good path for me. And it, it was a life-changing, life-altering, life-building <laughs> experience all my life. And then the, the Jamaica thing was so hysterical. Uh, um, <laughs> by that time, I was directing the Mesa Easter pageant. Mm-hmm. And uh, the CES coordinator in Jamaica knew me through church educational system and knew I directed the Hilcomore pageant. Hmm. And he said, could you come over to Jamaica and direct the Hilcomore pageant over here? Because uh-huh. <laughs> they had just changed scripts. Yeah. The Lord, the Lord, uh, Heavenly Father, the prophet, just put in a new script in Hilcomore, written by Russell Scott Card. And it was a good script. Um, and so the old script was no longer being used. Hmm. So we called, uh, Dr. Hansen had died by that time. We called his wife. Uh, Bonnie and said, Bonnie, could we use the old script? She said, sure, he'd love that if you did that. So I can't, I was a seminary teacher, institute teacher at the time. I couldn't do anything with, except direct it. So I said, why don't you ask my assistant director back at Kimura, who is in recording in Salt Lake. <laughs> and so they called her. She said, yeah, I'll direct it, but I want Len Johnson to be my assistant director. 
<laughs> so I went over as the assistant director. But it was, I mean, I could spend a whole podcast on it. It was a, an amazing experience. They knew nothing about theater, nothing. So we had them show up. We were in Manderville, Jamaica. We showed, they showed up for recasting. And we cast it. And in their minds, to cut it short, they thought, okay, I'm, I'm assigned Lehi, or I'm assigned Samuel, or I'm assigned Jesus. And so then I'll come back and I'll do it. They had no concept of rehearsal. We cast it, we cast it, and we said, okay, now you need to come back for this week. We, we, we can take it in a week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and perform it on Friday. And they said, we can't do that. We work. They're, you know, they're a third world or second world country. And they had no transportation. They had no... So we said, we looked at each other, and uh, we said, okay, all right. If you can be here Thursday night, we'll rehearse it Thursday night. And this is a 40-minute, I mean, a 60-minute show. Rehearse it Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday afternoon, and perform it Friday night. <laughs> so they, they showed up, uh, and we did that. Uh, unfortunately, on Friday, it rained the whole time. It was an outdoor show. So we kind of had to fake it. <laughs> and so um, the the director said, okay, Lund, I want you to be in every scene. He said, you get this no kind of brown costume that nobody will really stand out, and you be in every scene. The Four Sons of Messiah had five. <laughs> I was, and I was directing it during the show. I said, because the audience were far enough away that I could, I said, okay, everybody come over this way. Now, when I count to three, kneel down, okay, kneel down, kneel down. Now slowly start to get up. Now follow me over here. And we went over to the boat. So we direct, I directed the show during the show. <laughs> so wonderful. So wonderful. It was, you had to lose, leave everything alone that you knew about theater. Mm -hmm. When I went, when the sons of Lehi went over to get Lehi, who was standing off stage, we got him and his costume came to about his knees. He had his Sunday shoes on, his Sunday socks on, he had his watch on, he had glasses on. And I just, come on, come on. <laughs> so they didn't care. They just loved it. They just, so you just forget all you know about what you think drama is supposed to be and just love it. Just absolutely love it. Huh. And it was a scary, but a really good experience. So that's where, and the church wouldn't let us call it a pageant. <laughs> because there's only at that time there's only eight official pageants in the church, mm. so we had to call it a religious outdoor drama. <laughs> that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it worked. So anyway, uh, the pageants or outdoor dramas have been a huge part of my life. Big spiritual moments. You know, I spent twenty years, a month and a half in Hill Camorra, living on the Hill Camorra. Yeah. You know, it just. You can't get any better than that. It was just a marvelous experience. My family got to be in it twice. Hmm. And uh, so it was a great thing. Great spiritual building. Hmm. We all wow. have those. That's so incredible. anyway, that's it. <laughs> well, Brother Johnson, I, I, like I said at the beginning, I always learn something <laughs> new from you. And uh, this has been no exception for sure. I, I think if one thing I've learned today is that the Lord has a plan and he... He's constantly trying to give us revelation to lead us down the path Ab he needs us to take. Absolutely, absolutely. So I really appreciate you joining us, and we will have to have you back on to tell us a little bit more about <laughs> uh, the Jamaican dramatic theater. Outdoor drama. Out outdoor outdoor drama, that's right. <laughs> yes, and uh, some of your other experiences, because 
There's so many and they're so good. So I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right.